Our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 2, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. If, if this is the same John, we assume it is, who wrote the gospel, and if that was the disciple of Jesus, it means that John has taken the words of Jesus and put them into practical language for you and me, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we need to hear his word. We're talking about challenges, and we're talking about the ultimate challenge, the challenge of loving God and loving our neighbor. It's what Jesus told us to do. So let's look at God's word and what God has to say to you and me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but all for, also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates her brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And then we'll skip down to verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There are all kinds of things in the Gospels that are simply fascinating, powerful reminders of who God is and what God does in his world. But one of the things that always attracts me is when people came to Jesus and they asked him questions. 
And you know that they ask serious questions. They ask questions about life and about the future. When Jesus talked about the temple being destroyed, they said, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And you know the significance of that. We, we continue to ask the same things. There was a man who came to Jesus and fell down before him and asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus gave him a very practical, biblical, down-to-earth answer. You know the law. What does the law say to you? And the man amazingly, rightly said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, you have rightly said. But the man had a real problem with that. Because it seems that the people of that day believed that their neighbors were fellow Jews and that anyone outside of that was not a neighbor. So the man asked a follow-up question. And who is my neighbor? Apparently because he wanted to limit loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus, in response, told what you and I know as the parable of the good Samaritan and closed it by saying, of these three, the priest, the Levite, both of whom passed by and did nothing for the man who had been beaten and left for dead, and which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? Not who is your neighbor, but who was a neighbor? And then another time, someone, I think with good intent, came to Jesus and said, Good master, what is the greatest commandment? You have to remember in the third century AD, the Jews told us that they had 613 commandments. And presumably, people would keep up with those commandments and people could tell you those commandments. What were the commands? And so someone asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he said, and the second commandment is likened to it. And he quoted Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we could talk about that, and we could leave it and move on and never be changed and never make any difference in our lives. Because it's not the knowing the commandments, but it's the doing the commandments. And so there is a challenge of loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. 
We understand that. We know what that is like. And there's also the challenge of loving the people of the world as we love ourselves. We even know that within the church, there is the struggle to love one another as we love ourselves. So what is this challenge that's before us? And I want to ask you two questions. Number one, who is your God? And number two, who is your neighbor? We all love sermons that tell us things, but don't deal with the struggles of our heart. I don't want to have one of those kind of sermons today that tells you things, but doesn't deal with what's going on with inside us. Do you love God? Who is your God? And who is your neighbor? Let's deal with the first question first. Who is your God? Have, have you considered that lately? Since it's a Sunday morning, we come together, and since you're at church, then there is an obvious answer that on the surface fits us completely and fully, and that is to say, I love the Lord God. I love him with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. But is that really true? What about Monday morning when we go to work and go to school? What about, what about Friday night? What about Saturday? What about Saturday night? Do we love God? Is he first in our lives? Which God do we worship? Which God do we serve? Who do we look to? John in this passage of Scripture, brought it up very specifically. It's a real, a real problem. The problem is the world. John said, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, what did he mean by the world? Not the, not the world that is 8,000 miles around, not the world that, that we can look at from space or the space station, not that world, but the world that is opposed to the things of God, the world that excludes God and leaves God out of their lives, the, worlds that get, the world that gives lip service to God on Sunday but forgets about him the rest of the week. That's what John means by the world. Jesus, of course, famously said, God so loved the world. Paul put that into plain language, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners opposed to God, rebelling against God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. John tells us that 
Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for our sin, but not for us only, but also for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So John says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And so it's, it's, it's not you can have it all. It's not you can have it both. It's either or. It's one or the other. Jesus himself said you can't serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will hate the one and love the other. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve the world and serve God. There's the challenge. There's the difficulty. Because the world always wants to make us one of its own. Because our culture because of our media, because of our advertisements, because of everything in the world, the world wants us to make it us one with them. And it goes out of its way to do exactly that. But when you love the world, John says this, for everything in the world comes not from the Father, but from the world. And what does he say comes from the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. One astute commentator said, this is everything the world has to offer. This is all that it can give you, and it cannot give you anything else. But in these three things, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three things are always pulling us away from God, pulling us away from total obedience unto him, and allegiance and love for him. It's always pulling us away. All you have to do is look at, look at your own life. Look at the world around us. The lust of the flesh is ever before us. It is put before us in every possible way. So we live in a sex-crazed world and culture. And all of it seeks to pervert that which God has given as good and beautiful and sacred unto him. And so we live in a world of materialism, the lust of the eyes, where constantly more is put before us. And if only we could have this newest technology, or if we could only have this newest and best thing in our lives, if only we could have these things, then happiness would be abundant and there would be no more anxiety and no more depression and no more worry and no more fear and there would be peace and happiness in life. And the world offers us that, but of course, never delivers. The third thing, so there's sensuality, there is materialism, and there is self-sufficiency. 
the pride of life. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look what has happened to me. Look what I have made happen. This is all that the world has to offer, but they are tremendous. They are powerful temptations that are given to us. But if we love the world and all that is within it, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, we are always going to come up empty. But what does God have to offer? What does God give us? What, it, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? What's, what's the result of that? Well, when a person comes to faith in Christ, when a person surrenders herself or himself to God. When a person finally says, God, I give you myself, my life, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. That's what loving the Lord your God in that way means. God, I give it all to you. You are my only one. I give this to you. When we do that, God's spirit comes to dwell within us. And when he comes, he brings us gifts. And he provides fruit. And he grows that fruit within us. And it is peace and love and joy and perseverance and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. It led Paul to say, against these things, no one would ever pass a law. These are good things. God brings them to us. But the question remains, who is your God? Who do you serve? Is it the world or is it God? And what does God do for us? Just look at, look at some of the things that are before us. He forgives sin. That's what John says, chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer, an attorney. We have a counselor. We have someone who speaks on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not ours, but he died for all of the world because he desires that everyone should be saved and that no one should perish so he is the one who forgives sin. He's the one who inspires obedience within us. When, when we know God, two things happen. One of them is we recognize how far we are from obedience. And so we understand that we're sinners and that we need forgiveness. The second thing is that we then begin the process of desiring to be something other than sinners. 
And God does that for us. He works within us that we desire to be like him. In this passage, John said that what happens is that we become like God and that we please God when we become like him. A third thing that he does is that he changes our lives. He puts us in a new directory in a new direction. He puts us on a new trajectory. He moves us forward in life. He changes us. And that change in Holy Scripture is called sanctification. He saves us. He is moving us forward to where we will be one day with him in heaven And that process is called sanctification. It is becoming like Jesus. It is becoming like God. When you become like God, you take the things of God, and these things then matter in your life. Who is our God? He is spirit. He is light. He is love. He is righteous. John said all of those things in the gospel and in his epistle. He is the light of the world. In God, there is no darkness. He is love. He is perfect love. He is righteous. He is is God himself. He is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But there's a second question, and that is, who is your neighbor? And are you willing to love the people that God loves? And are you willing to love other people in the way that God loves. Because that's the command of God, that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. To love our neighbor is to love as God loves and to love in the way that God loves. To love our neighbor is to love our neighbor in the way that God loves us. And what he did for us, he called us to be his people. So how do we do this? Well, to do this, you live in the light. And and that's what's what John says to us, that we're to live in the light. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates her brother or sister is still is is in the darkness. John said, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Christ and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So anyone who claims to be in the light but hates her brother is in the darkness. But anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. One of John's reasons for writing was to let 
you and me know that we have eternal life. In fact, he says it very explicitly. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. God has written it, given it to us for a reason. John says, if you are in the light, you have excluded the darkness, and you show that by loving your brother and sister. How do you know you're in the light? How do you live in love for brother and sister? You obey God's commands. John also says, if you're in the light, you will obey his commands. Not a cafeteria approach. I like this command. I like this command. This one is not for me. How many times have you said that? This is, that's not for me. Maybe it had to do with witnessing or giving or serving. I like this. I like this. I pick and I choose. But remember, partial obedience is disobedience. Remember, delayed obedience is disobedience. You show your love for God by obeying his commands. You show your love for God by loving the people he loves, by loving the people he died for, by loving the people who don't know God but who desperately need to know God. They are living in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and they are missing the great things that God has to give like peace and love and joy and forgiveness and and hope. I, I want to warn you about something. It's the easiest thing in the world for me. I assume it's the easiest thing in the world for you. It's to confuse liking and loving. Most of us are really good about liking. And you have some people. Maybe you're sitting with them now. You, you meet up with them. By the way, this is not a bad thing. But you sit with them because you, you, you care for each other. You, you might have said the first time you met that person, we hit it off. We have the same interest. We have the same viewpoints. We pull for the same football team. We confuse liking with loving. The Bible says absolutely nothing about liking. And it speaks repeatedly about loving. Love is not something that happens. It's not something that feels right. That's liking. To love is a command. Remember? Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. And then Jesus said in the second command, 
is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everywhere in Scripture, love is a command. It's what you do, not because of you like someone, but because of what God called us to do. I'll never forget being in a classroom in a religious institution where someone said, you can't choose who you love. They were talking about the book of Hosea. You can't choose who you love. You can't command someone to love someone else. But what about all of the Bible? That's what the Bible says repeatedly. You can't confuse liking with loving. Loving is a command. It comes from God. He commands us to do so. It shows that we're in the light, that we belong to God. Who is your neighbor? Second thing not to confuse is don't confuse what you want with what God wants. God wants us to be obedient to him, to follow him, and to live for him, and we must do it. And we show that we are in the light when we love one another and when we yield ourselves unto God. So how in the world do you do this? Because it's a real challenge. And I don't have to tell you that. You deal with it every day. I deal with it every day. How do we love our neighbor? How do we love those people we don't like? How do we love those people who don't think as we do? How do we love those people that we don't hit it off with? How does that happen? How could anybody love those kinds of folks? Only by the power of God in your life. If you say, this is something I can't do, I agree with you 100%. It's not something I can do. But it is something that God can do with both you and me. It's something that he can do in our lives. When we surrender to God our feelings, our ideas, and we ask God to help us to obey his commands, to live in the light, to love our neighbors, when we surrender to him and say to God, God, I can't do this, but you living and working within me can do this, and I give it unto you. And I'm willing to let you do in me what I can't do. And so today I want to ask you, if you've not surrendered your heart to God, trusted him as your Lord and Savior, why not? I want to ask those of you who are believers. We struggle. We all struggle with this. Would you open your heart to God and say, God, would you do in me what I can't do? This is your work of sanctification, of making me like Jesus. God, I surrender to you so that you can work and live and move within me, and I give myself unto you.
Now, I know this is not easy. This is why we use the word surrender. I give up, and I give it to God, and I let him be in control of my life. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to respond to the work and word of God in your life by asking you to come to the front, talking with the pastor, praying with the pastor, praying here at the steps. I'm going to ask you to do that out of love for God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and out of your desire to love as he loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for... Uh, powerful words of Scripture that speak to us and call us to you. Uh, thank you that you love us and that you want us to be like you. So help us that our hearts, our lives, that our inward feelings may be changed, not by our doing, but by your doing. God, speak to our hearts. Help us to be obedient and faithful unto you. Call people to yourself and help them to walk forward and make important life-changing decisions. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Come now as we sing.